Father, this morning, we come to you, Lord. We look to the cross. We look to your face. Where our redemption comes from. We look unto you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our peace and of our faith and of our righteousness and of our joy. It all comes from you, Lord. Help us to realize without you, we are actually nothing empty. But with you and through you, we are everything that you want us to be. Help us to really daily, Father, wake up and seek a life that is not apart from you. This morning, I commit everyone, Lord, here, around the world, all who are tuned in, we commit them all into their hands. Speak to us, Lord, and I pray you will continue to speak to us all the days of our life. For your words are spirit and they are life. Your life. Therefore we surrender ourselves, spirit, soul and body this morning. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. John, there are seats there. Go sit there. We know we are looking from the book of Joshua. Because remember the promises. For the year, what are the three words? Repent, revive, and resist. We are looking from there because the final thing is that we have to fight. There is no victory without a battle. Okay. If you want to be victorious, remember there are battles which we have to fight. And here in Joshua 3.10, we will not look at this, but just so that we are, we are continuing in that trend. But today, because it's also Good Friday, We'll come to that later. In 3.10, God talks, tells them, by this you shall know. Okay, By this you shall know. There are a lot of things by which we get to know. We, we know. By this you shall know. Okay, How do you know? By this you shall know. That the living God is among us. We told about the two promises by which the new covenant begins, that is, one is, you shall name him Yeshua, he shall save his people from their sins, then you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They are already out of Egypt, they came long back again, the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, Yeshua they believed and they came out. Now God is going promising them and promising us the life of God, the life of Christ, the life of Christ, the life overcoming life. But he says to get that life, remember you have to cross this river. And on the other side, there are seven nations. In Deuteronomy he will say seven nations that are far mightier and stronger than you. Without Christ, without Christ, the strongest, most powerful man on earth will fall before the tiniest demon. They are stronger than us. Except that. 
doesn't matter who you are, the president of US, the president of Russia, the president of uh, China, it doesn't matter how powerful they are. They are absolutely, totally powerless before even the tiniest demon. That is their power, reality. When we talk about having power over them, it's because of Christ. Without Christ, we are also every day beaten silly by them. So understand that there are seven nations before the Bible says seven nations. Okay? And you have to drive them out. If you don't drive them out, you cannot possess the land. These are not, we, we don't call like the Palestinians want to say original inhabitants. No, they are not original inhabitants. They are squatters. The land belongs to the owner. The land belongs to God. The earth and its fullness belongs to God. And he has the original honor, always eternal honor, has given it to Abraham and his descendants. There are squatters there. They have, they have the choice. Move out. They have the choice. Move out of that place. Okay? Move out of that place. Or perish. In the same way, when we were all born again, our entire soul. Salvation is the salvation of our soul. When Jesus comes into our lives, our spirit is illuminated. The Holy Spirit comes to. That's when he becomes Yeshua. We are sealed by the spirit of promise for the day of redemption. After that, we have to have a second experience, which is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we actually experience the power of God on a day-to-day basis to push out the seven nations. Seven nations. Okay. Now, when we come to go to Revelation chapter four five, so that we understand Revelation four five. From the throne proceeds proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, meaning sevenfold spirit of God. It's not the Holy Spirit is seven, but it has seven primary manifestations along with subsections. Seven primary. Seven is the number of completeness or perfection. Seven is used as a number of completeness. Okay? So when you're talking about seven nations, it is talking about Arundhati. Seven nations, it is talking about seven demonic entities. Okay? Demonic. Many subsections. Okay? But if you want to divide it, if you go to First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, This is how we have to see it, okay? Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So, see, all these seven come under the spirit of the world. Okay? There are seven and many subsections under it. You're getting it? Yes, let us say a country with seven states. And each state has cities and towns and villages like that. But primarily it is one country with seven states. Okay, So there is the spirit of the world, which is Lucifer, the ruler of this world, under whom the whole, the wicked one, the whole world, seven demonic entities over there, Okay, many subsections. And the same way, the Holy Spirit is also a sevenfold spirit, and you will see it is a sevenfold spirit that re- rested upon Jesus, and he delighted in the fear of the Lord, which is a manifestation. So you need to understand what 
Joshua is speaking to the children of Israel. This is how you will know. How will I know God is with me? I know I am saved. You know you are saved. You know we are saved. Why? Because of Jesus, Yeshua. We were sealed by the spirit of redemption. But how do you know God is with you? How do you know God is with you? Because you are fighting the good fight of faith and you are defeating these seven entities that controlled us earlier even when we were not aware of. They controlled us. And we saw, right? We saw why this seven is important and what God is able to do. So these pictures are given in Luke chapter 8 and verse 3. It talks about the women who minister to Jesus, okay? And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, Susanna, many others. Uh, there is uh, one about Mary. Isn't that there? I thought it was there. Yeah, two. Yeah, that's what I'd say, two. And certain women who had been healed of what? Evil spirits and infirmities. And there was Mary. Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come what? Seven demons. So she was perfectly possessed. Okay, she was perfect. So a woman is mentioned over there who was controlled. Completely by seven demons. I mean, you can have more than that, but it's a symbolic number given over there. But when you come to John chapter 20 and verse 17 and 18, you have to understand what God is trying to say. Okay, John chapter 20, 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, whom? Mary Magdalene, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So you have a person in the Bible mentioned by totally, completely possessed by the devil, delivered by Jesus Christ. She happens to be the first one to see the resurrected Christ and the first one to whom the message of resurrection is given. That is complete deliverance. What you wear, what you can be. You have a resurrection message. So God puts these pictures over there. So unless we see these pictures, we will not realize what is it possible to be in Christ Jesus. So these things are there. These things are there. So we need to understand. And we saw the first of the spirits they had to defeat was the Canaanite spirit. And that is the first spirit. If you do not defeat that spirit every day, every day that spirit will come back. We have to fight. These are spiritual entities. If you don't fight that, we will lose that. We lose that day's battle. We, we have to. What is the spirit of Canaan? It's the, you saw the word Canaan means merchant or trafficker. He's a merchant, he's a trader, he's a trafficker. And we saw Satan was the original trafficker. It began in heaven. Okay, and you have the prince of Tyre who through his trading was filled with violence. What is the fundamental premise of a business trading? It is always based on profit or gain. Any business, if it does not run on profit, will automatically shut down. Shut down. Okay, so you need to have profit. When Jesus also came, he asked the man with the who was given one talent. Where, what did you make? So he. But the intention of when the intention is only gain, like I was using the example for the Nepali church. Like no, you have metro, 
running in Hyderabad. It's basically LNT runs it, right? It's a private enterprise. If they run on loss, they will ask the government to supplement their income. Otherwise, they will shut down. But railways doesn't shut down. Because the primary purpose of Indian railways, it's a government enterprise. It's not profit. It is service. It's not profit. It's not. It should be a profit-making enterprise for the reason it can serve the people well. Because if it's always running on loss, the service is is bad. The service becomes bad because you don't have money to repair and to bring new coaches and to bring more safety regulations and the government always has to borrow. Remember, government doesn't have money other than what the taxes, but always there is a deficit so they have to borrow to pump in money. So understand, every business has to make profit. But if your primary purpose is only profit and not service, the spirit of Kanan is actually controlling you. Because the spirit of Quran will only put in their hand where they see gain for self. And this is how your day begins. When you begin the day, you need to ask, what am I looking at? Am I looking at gain or loss? And Jesus says, any man who finds his life will lose it. Any man who is willing to lose his life for the gospel, for the kingdom, for me, will find it. So the believer does not work on the spirit of Kanan. He works on the principle of what? Of loss. I'm here to serve. The son of man did not come to be served. He came to serve. And if you do not wake up each morning with that principle, looking where can I serve? And it begins with God and goes to man. I'm saying that day you are defeated. Nobody will know God is with you. Of course, there will be gain in that process. God will prosper you, but that is not your intention. So how did Potiphar know God was with Joseph when Joseph is a slave and there is no profit for him personally by his master prospering? Why should he work from day till night and be so diligent and have integrity and to see his master did well? When the master saw it, he said, God is with him. How did he know? God is giving us fundamental principles. Because if you don't get these principles, are we saved? Yes. Do they know that God is among us? No, they will not know God is among us. They will not know God is with us. They have to see. That is our witness. And we cannot do it. It is God who will drive out the nations. We cannot do it on our own strength. Forget it. You cannot. That's why the first command given to the disciples is not to go, but to wait. Wait. Because you need power. Without this power, you cannot be my witness. What is the witness? They will know Christ is with us. God is in us. God is with us. That's what he said. The Holy Spirit will come. He will be in you and he will be with you and he will be with you forever. So understand fundamentally canonized spirit because and, and the symbol of it is usually money. Money is a symbol. That's why Mammon is also translated as money. But mammon is an Aramic word which actually means gain. It's gain. Okay. And the old nature is that right from childhood as they grow up, the old in nature is that. I mean, we all had children. And the children were toddlers, one year, one and a half years. And when they had played with their toys, their toys are all over there, the place. And when you tell the little one, put away your toys, ah. Because they don't see any gain in putting it away. They only saw gain in pulling it out. 
They don't see any gain. Nah, you do it. Will you help me? And we help them. We sit with them and teach them how to put it back in order because we understand. But you know, the child is born in sin, shaped in it. What does it mean? It is only looking for gain. It is not looking for, it is not even there in its psyche. The baby at midnight hour is not going to say, oh, my poor mommy hasn't slept at all. In my stomach, there's a little rumble over here. I will let her sleep. It doesn't bother. It is not there. And if you grow on like that, you will become an extremely selfish taker. And it will destroy homes and relationships. And that is what we have to, it's a canonized spirit. That's that's the first spirit you have to destroy. And that was the spirit that brought the rebellion in heaven. Satan. Okay, and then he injected into Adam and Eve, Eve first, and then into Adam. He injected into it because when she heard his report, he looked and said, wow, God said, if you eat, you will die. Actually, if I eat it, I will gain, I will have wisdom like God. So immediately, profit was brought in and actually it was lost. They lost, we all lost. That was put in. Okay, so get that. That is the first spirit we have to battle. And the second spirit we have to battle is the uh, Hittites. And that is fear. Hittite is that fear and fear. You will see, immediately you will see fear comes in. They were afraid. You have to deal with fear. Fear of man, fear of everything. You don't deal with these spirits. Okay, you don't deal with these spirits. We will see, we will not overcome. And the third one, which is there, the spirit that is there are the Hivites, right? The third one is the Hivites. We will not go into the Hivites today. We will probably look at Hivites on Monday. But I want to give you the background so that we don't look lose the trend of what we are doing, okay? The third one are the Hivites. And if you want, I mean, a lot of people will go through you know, all kind of things and it talks about village and all these things and all that. But let me tell you the truth about Hivite. Again, remember, Hivite is also a son of Nimrod. The first rebel, big rebel against God, okay? And the first time you hear about Hebite is when there are two deceptions that takes place. When they are at Shechem, Jacob and his sons are at Shechem. Pull that curtain, please. The AC is on. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Jacob and his family are at Shechem, remember Dina goes out into the world window shopping. Okay? And Hamor, the prince of Shechem, will probably entice her with words and then rapes her. She's deceived, he's deceived, but Hamor is a Hivite. It is written, he's a Hivite. Okay? He's a Hivite. After Joshua has won his battles. Remember, the first defeat in the promised land is because one man who had come through it all was taken over by the Canaanite spirit. Akan was taken over and he took that gold bar and the Babylonian garment and hid it. Okay, And immediately they lose a very, to a very small little town, a village. They lost to a village. And that fear overpowers them. Even Joshua says, Lord, why did you bring us over here? And once that spirit is removed in the form of Akan and his household, they win. But after they win in chapter 9, you will realize they are deceived. They are deceived by whom? But they were Hivites. So these three spirits go together. Okay? The spirit of Canaan, the spirit of the Hittite, 
and the spirit of and Timothy in the letter to Timothy Paul says it was Eve who was deceived. So you will see these three spirits are working together right from the beginning. And to us, Jesus warns about this spirit over and over and over again. He says, beware of deception, beware of deception, beware of deception, beware of deception. Be very, very careful about decision. But today, we will not look at that. We will not look at that. We will go to Joshua chapter 4 and connect it today. First 4, 1 to 8, 9, and 19 to 24. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. And command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. They were standing in the middle of Jordan. The whole Jordan had dried up. Okay? Absolutely dried up. Where they stood, there were stones. And he said, where they stood, pick twelve stones. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. He says, you're going to go from here. For they'll go around nine to ten miles. They will walk from there. And that I will tell you where you have to stay tonight. Okay? And then. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan. Each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And then, and the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, took up the twelve stones from the midst of Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now we come to verse 9. Okay, verse 9. Then, something else which most people miss. Okay, in verse 9. Then, Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So actually there was not two memorials, one memory, there were two memorials. One they carried, that we will read from 19 to 24, where it is, 12 stones. And where exactly the priest stood, he set up 12 stones. Who set it up? Joshua set it up, 12 stones. In the middle of the river, there is a set of stones. And after they cro- he crosses over, the water will come and cover it. You can't see it. But further away, we will look at 19. 19 to 24. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall set your children know that Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. And all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. You may fear the Lord your God forever. Later when we read, we will see that place where they made that memorial is called Gilgal. Okay? Turn to Psalm 17 verse 11 and Psalm 43 verse 5. Oh, no, so Psalm 143.5. Okay. Leave that one. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. Okay? We saw God telling Joshua something very specific to the children of Israel. We call them spiritual markers. We need to understand, we all need spiritual markers. If we don't have spiritual markers, we will have spiritual amnesia. We'll forget what God has done, okay, in our lives. Today is Good Friday. Okay, today is Good Friday. For Christian, mainline Christianity, traditional Christianity for thousands of years, celebrates three particular days. Three particular days. One is Christmas. The other is Good Friday. And the third is, they call it Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Three important days in the calendar. One is connected with the birth of Jesus Christ. The other is connected with the death of Jesus Christ. And the third is connected with the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can disagree about the dates. But we cannot disagree about the days. Day is one thing. Date is one thing. Jesus definitely was not born on December 25th. But he was born. So we say don't fight about it. Whichever way you want to do, which is spiritually right, use that day. He was born. He was born. The fact that did he die on Good Friday... Friday is good anyway, because Jesus said on the sixth day, it is good. So it is a good day, right? If you go to Matthew 12, 39, 40, just, just as an aside, okay, we are not getting into debates over here. Matthew 12, 39, 40. He answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was Three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is the issue. This is where conservative, you want, whatever name you want to use, fundamental Christians disagree with traditional Christianity says if you celebrate or if you want to use Good Friday, how does it be fit with scripture? Three days and three nights. Okay, three days and three nights. Then if you come to Mark 16 and verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first day, first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So, there is no, the only day there is no debate about is when he rose. 
everybody knows he rose on the first day of the week and that is a Sunday. Traditionally in our calendar it is a Sunday. Early. He rose early. There is nowhere where it is written when he rose. Except that he rose very early. If you go to a simple fundamental principle in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4 where it, from where it all we get our information. Uh, 4 and uh, 5. Yeah. Okay, God saw the light, it was good. God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. God doesn't look at time like we look at the time. Okay, doesn't look at time as we look at time. Because when he started creation or recreation, whichever you want to believe in, is that it was first dark. It was not light, it was dark. Then came light. So the day is evening, 6 to 6, evening, and then 6 to 6. Are you getting? Evening, 6 to 6 in the morning, and morning, 6 in the evening, to uh, evening, 6 in the, is the first day. That is the first day. That is how the day begins. So if you go by God's calendar, early would be evening. So we don't know when Jesus rose. Time is not given. Everybody thinks he rose on early Sunday morning. But we don't know when he rose. Because we don't know how to count the days. We don't know how to count God's days by his calendar. But the fact is that when early in the morning, when some little light came, when the women came there, he wasn't there. Okay. So there is no debate about when he rose. But there is always a debate about when he died, or when he was born, and which day exactly he died. Okay, so that's why. But please remember, like I said, we can disagree on the date, but we cannot disagree on the day because he died. Because these are three spiritual markers. He was born of a woman under the law. He died on the cross at Calvary. And on the third day, the first day of the week, he rose again. These are spiritual markers. And our entire eternity is dependent upon these three events. That God came in the flesh. God died on the cross. And he rose again. All three. The problem is, in the same way, if you do not have spiritual markers, we will have spiritual amnesia will forget what God has done. So to Israel, because their history is different from our history, God gave them, like, you know, this shall be the first month for you. <laughs> Months were already there, but the day of Passover, okay? And that night they left Egypt, God says, this is for you the first month. This is your beginning. So you will see the second generation also, on the 10th day, they crossed over, and that is when they celebrate Passover. They celebrate. So, it is a new beginning for the new generation also. So, God gives them festivals, and along with them, they have that another festival, which is from the book of Esther, Purim, because of how God had mightily delivered them from the hand of the Babylonians, the wicked ones. Okay, so there, why was this? And it was compulsory that three times a year, every man in Israel above this age should be come, should come to Jerusalem. So that is how the, on the day of Pentecost, the gospel is being preached. Why? Because these are markers for these people. 
markers for these people. Like today you will see, all the churches will be packed. All those people who are absconding the whole year, they will start coming. Okay? That is what happens. Okay? In Israel also, what will happen is that people who never went to the synagogue or anything, everybody will appear for their festival. Okay? Appear for the festival. These are markers. But these markers should be there. Otherwise, how will you know? How will you know your spiritual history? Okay. So we have to be very careful about these days because you realize what is happening around the world from US to India. What is happening is there is the erasing of history and a tearing down of monuments so that a generation will rise up and not know their past at all. Much of our past is not kosher. But the issue with history is that the only thing history does, we can do with history is learn from the mistakes of our forefathers. You cannot erase it. Because if you erase history, you have every chance of repeating it. So history is a marker. This is what like the new CBSE syllabus has come, come in some states or whichever this thing. In that syllabus, there is no Mughal history. But if you take Mughal history, there is a vacuum there because they ruled India for a few hundred years. And you take it away, what are you going to fill it with? But the whole idea is to erase it out of a generation to know that, okay, we were a people who were never enslaved. But that's not true. We were conquered. We learned from it. We were conquered. Every nation, one way or other, were conquered by different people. Okay, that has happened. Okay, that is basically what they are trying to do in US also, trying to erase history. Erase history. But you cannot erase history. You can only learn from history. And you need to realize there is a concentrated attack on these three fundamentals. If they cannot take it out, what they will try to do is, it will try to turn its nature that the truth is lost. Truth is lost. I'm telling you, you go to any Christian state in India, especially if you go to Kerala, and you ask, everybody will be there in their church. And if you ask them, what does Good Friday mean to you? They have no answer. What actually happened? Okay, Jesus died on the cross. So what? How does it change your life? What does this mean? I'm telling you because I have personal experience. I have been in houses where like in, when I had taken Bibles years and years ago in different states, like it's a house like this, full of nominal Christians or Catholics. And I start the ball rolling with asking a question. Each one of you tell when you die, how will you go to heaven? Everyone's answer was good works. Nobody mentioned Christ. And they all go to church. And the cross was lost. So how are you different from a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Jain? Because you don't understand what the cross is. It's a spiritual marker. If Jesus did not die on the cross for my sins, then I have not believed with all my heart, with all my strength, then I am answerable to God for my sins. It's a marker. We have forgotten these things. And Joshua is teaching a very important lesson. To Israel, God is telling, you know what? When your children later you will come to the rivers of Jordan to wash clothes or to have a bath or for a picnic, they will look at the stones and say, what are these stones here? You must tell them. I want to tell you. Do you know what these stones are? 
It's a reminder of the day when we crossed. Our forefathers crossed River Jordan. It was a mighty act of God. He dried up the whole river on dry land. We crossed over. Dry land. We crossed over. You need to realize it is true. There was a river of wrath flowing from the big beginning. The wages of sin is death. And everybody was being swept by it. But you know what? The son of man, the actual Melchizedek, stood in the middle of the river and took the wrath of God upon himself. And we who believed have crossed our over on absolute dry ground. There is no iota or trace of our sins. We crossed over on dry ground. Everything was taken by him. That's a spiritual marker. How did we cross over? Because it's a crossing over. How did we cross over? On what basis did we cross over? How did the people cross over? The people crossed over, maybe six or eight priests were standing. They stepped in. They went to the middle. They held the ark, the presence of God. And they stood there. The Bible says, they stood there until the last man crossed over. They were the first to get in. And they were the last to get. The Bible says, Jesus is forever making intercession for those who are being saved. When will he stop praying? And the last man has crossed over his prayer. He will not. He's still bearing on his shoulders our burdens. Our burden. He's still bearing. He's still. So we need to realize it's a spiritual marker. Though this thing happened 2,000 years ago for us, historically, because we are caught in time, but in eternity, that's not what Jesus is called. He's called the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. If it, that is not true, then Abel by offering blood, his sacrifice is not going to please God. Why does it please God? Because it is only a reflection on earth what has happened for God in time eternity. Because God is not caught in time. So Good Friday, as we call it, or Passover, I would prefer to call it Passover. And remember Wednesday night to Saturday night, the Thursday night was Passover. And I believe that's when he was crucified. Three days, three nights. Okay, what happened? How did they come out? They came out because the blood of the Passover lamb. How did we come out? Because the blood of Jesus Christ. All Israel remained safe and the destroyer passed over them. And we are safe. If you have repented, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, believed that he's risen from the dead, we are sealed by the spirit of promise the destroyer passes over us. It's a spiritual marker. We need spiritual markers. If we don't have spiritual markers, where do we go back to? What do we go back to? In our personal history with God, we all need to have a personal history with God. Okay, All of us need to have a personal history with God. And we should the habit of sharing our testimonies with our unsaved little children about where we encountered God. We tell them all kinds of things except share our testimonies where we encountered God. You know what? Daddy was going through this situation. Then you know what? The hand of God was there. And that's how daddy came out. This is what God is telling. See, another generation, another different generation rise up. They were not the ones who crossed the river. Their forefathers did. So there was a memorial for them. It was a memorial for them. 
Okay. But if you do not, what happens? We erase our own spiritual history and we do not pass on. Pass on. Come to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. Okay. 12. Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Yeah, let's keep reading. Okay. Abraham took Sarai and they came to the land of Canaan. Yes. Verse 6, 7, 8. Verse 7 says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. He has an encounter with God. His first response having an encounter is that he built an altar to the Lord. It's a marker. The old man who is 75 years old has an encounter with God. God came and gave him a promise in the promised land. So what did he do? He made a marker. Okay, and then when you come to verse 8, he moves from there. He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, I on the east, and there he built and all he has another marker. He has a marker. Now think about people here. Think about your people here. No, I mean, I mean, you are all of you are young. Most of you have been Hyderabad, like you know. If you ask me, okay, like uh, 1983, I was saved. Okay, 83 to 88. I mean, to Then two years, I mean, under the country. Then I come here. Then from here, you ask me from 1983 till today, in every town I have been in, I can tell you which church I went to, or if there was no church where I sat and worshipped on the Lord's Day, because those are markers. Oh, I remember when I went to Hong Kong, I went shopping. These are people's markers. Where is your marker? Where is your marker? Do you have a marker? Samir is in here, otherwise he will know. In, in Tivandrum there is LMS, London Missionary Society, part of CSI Church. Their hall is there, right in the center on the MG Road. That's where every Sunday evening we gathered, because I was from a Catholic background. I didn't have a church, but the EU gathered there. We gathered there every Sunday. You remember, okay, when I first came to Hyderabad in 1991, June the 6th, you can't forget it because it's a fish eating day. Remember, people come here for the fish medicine. I came here on that day to write my exam at IFLU. I reached here by evening. I came here. I checked into some. I cannot remember the hotel I checked into. But I remember in the evening, I took a walk. And I went down the railway station on the other side. There is a Tamil SPG church. The one door was open. I walked into the church, knelt down and said, Lord, I don't know what I have come here for. I remember the churches. The next church, when I finally joined, came back and joined here was St. John's Church there at uh, Second Rabat. Okay, and I realized, no, this is not for me. It's all mainline. The third church I went to was Aegis, and I said, I like it, but it looks more like a theater. The fourth church I went to was Elm. That's where the Lord called me. Should be able to remember should be able to remember. Because these are markers. 
Because these are places where you know you went searching for God and God came and met you. You should have spiritual markers. Abraham had a spiritual marker. He made an altar at Shechem. Then he moved further. He came to Bethel. He made an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. A terrible thing will happen. Famine will happen. Famine is not the terrible thing. The problem with famine is, these are all tests. Abraham has entered into Canaan. Now famine comes and he is overpowered by the spirit of Canaan. Because he's already looking at profit and loss. Oh, famine is here. I have all these flocks and herds and everything. If I stay here, they will all die and I will be poor and I will die. So he always profit and loss, gain. So he moves into Egypt. As soon as he moves into Egypt, he looks and says, these people in Egypt, you know what? They take beautiful women into the king's harem. My wife is beautiful. Again, he's looking at gain and loss. And he says, if anybody asks you, say that you are my sister. He's overpowered by the first two spirits. What is it? The Canaanite spirit and the Hittite spirit. Right? He goofs up. God's hand is there upon him. Delivers him with a mighty hand. He comes back. Genesis 13. Can you go to Genesis 13? Abraham went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had. Lot with him to the south. He was very rich. He went in his journey from the from the south, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been, between Bethel and I, and verse 4, and the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. You see, when you fail, when you fall, you need to have a marker where you are able to go back to God. He went back to God. You need to understand why this is important. Like I said, there are these giants in the book of Genesis, like, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then finally Joseph. But a lot of pages or verses is given to another man who entered the promised land along with Abraham. His name is Lot. The issue is Lot had no spiritual markers. When you don't have spiritual markers, you are confused. So the angels, because of another man's intercession, forcibly push this man back, pull this man out with his daughters and his wife. The woman's marker was not the altar. The woman's marker was Sodom. So she looked back and she died. And Jesus said, remember Lord's wife. Lord's wife should not be your marker. Don't look back at the places from which God has delivered you. Don't look back at the, from the, the world that God has delivered you. Remember Lord's wife. That is not your marker. Okay. He's totally confused. The angel is saying, go up to the mountains. He's saying, no, no, I cannot. It's too much for me. There's a town called Zwar over here. He's confused because he has no markers. Abraham, when he fell, he knew where to come back to because he had an altar where he had called upon the name of the Lord. This man never built an altar in his life. Therefore, he had no markers to go back to. How does Psalm 103 begin? Bless the Lord, O my soul. and Bless his. And second one. And? Remember. Remember, you need to have markers. Remember, when you are in a back against the world, remember, I know, I remember a year like that, I was in a much worse situation, but I remember. 
God delivered me, brought me out. We need markers. We don't have markers. We will not know where to turn. Genesis 26, 23 to 26. He went up from there to Beersheba. Who is this? Isaac. He's a blessed guy. Never rebelled against God. Never rebelled against his father. He's the ideal man in that chapter. Right? So wherever he digs, he finds well. He brings water. But these are the wells of his father. Okay? I said two things Abraham leaves for his children. Okay? Two things we should leave for our children. One, he left altars. Other, he left wells. Altars to remind his sons where he had encountered God. Wells from where he had always had fresh water. The Philistines will come and fill the wells. Isaac will come and dig it up. Two things we should leave. Remember, two things we should leave for the next generation. Do you remember the story I told about a man? His son was turning 18 the son has been asking him over and over again, Dad, when you turn, when I turn 18, I want a car, and this is the car I want. The father is a nice, godly man. And the day of his birthday, when he came, the father gave him a Bible. And he was so mad. He threw the Bible at the dad's table, and he walked away. And he didn't come back. He said, always pushing the word on me, pushing the word on me, pushing the word on me, walked away. Many years later, his mother calls him and says, I want you to come. Dad is very ill. I think he will pass away. By the time he came, his father was dead. Okay, so now he's guilt and all. Everything is over. He goes to his father's study. And he realizes everything is there, including the Bible which he had thrown. That Bible is still there. The father has kept it. Okay, so he goes and looks at the Bible. It is written over there to my son on his 18th birthday and whatever words. And then he starts opening up the Bible. And as he opens up the Bible, he looks in the Bible there is a cover. And he opens the cover. There is a check in that cover for $5,000 or whatever the car was worth dated on that day of his birthday. He looks and said, my father had actually answered along with okay so you need to realize, we leave something to our children, our encounters with God. That is our testimonies. And we leave them the word of God from which, you know, time will go as they go into the world, they go into colleges and all the Philistines and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are sitting in these colleges. And they are filling those wells with mud and earth and stones. But times will come, they will dig up and they will be able to find the wells their fathers had dug. When their drought comes, famine comes, they will be able to remember the testimony of the father and the words they have taught. Two things he left. So here he is. He went up from there to Bishop, all the wells he gave it and he said, go, God with me. And the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you. Multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent and there Isaac's servants dug a well. I said I would preach this long ago 26, 25. 
This is Isaac. He has an encounter. Okay, they are moving. He slept in the night. He has an encounter with God. God comes and blesses him. The first thing he does, he builds an altar. Second thing he does is, he pitches his tent. And the third thing he does is, he digs a well. First thing, ask people also, when you are thinking about moving to a city, moving abroad, what is the first thing that you look for? Do you? I mean, now because you have heard it so many, we are not talking about facts, we are talking about truth. The different vision of fact is that fact has to become truth for you. When you go to a place, is the first thing that you Google for is... Let me pick a place where I am only there for seven days and there is a Sunday over there. I don't have work on Sunday. Let me pick a place or look for a church where I can go to. Do you look for an altar? So he had a marker. He left a marker. Birshiba, he left a marker. Okay. Go to Genesis 28. 10. Onwards, okay? Now Jacob went out from Beersheba when he came to a certain place. You know, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Okay? Where did he go from? From his father's altar. And he's moving to the unknown land, the Gentile land, Haran. He came to a certain place, stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place, put it at his hand. He lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. Okay, go further down. That's all the one. Behold, I am with you. Okay. Further down, and Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, "Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it." He was afraid and said, "How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." Look at what he does. Jacob arose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. Okay, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but name of that city had been Luz. Previously, what did he do? He marked that place. He marked that place. It was just a stone. I personally believe it was a stone that had fallen away from his grandfather's altar. Because grandfather had built an altar in Bethel. And he put his head on it. You see, this is a legacy you leave. Okay. Grandfather has gone long ago. But there's a place where the grandfather encountered the church. Okay. Encountered the church. Okay. If you, if you, if you know about President Trump's mother. President Trump's mother was a very powerful praying lady who came from Scotland, was part of the revival. And he's got a Bible, which is his mother's Bible. A revival, which is his mother's Bible. It's a marker. It's a marker. Just given to him by his mother. Okay. So you, you all need to realize there are markers and he made that place into a marker. It's a simple stone. He's not building a tomb or a monument. It's just a simple stone. And he poured oil and says, and he marked it. Okay? Marked it. Twenty years passed by. In chapter 31, in verse 11 and 13, God will tell him to leave. 
The angel of the God spoke to in a, in to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. Verse 12. I am the God of Bethel. What's your mark? I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me, now arise, get out of this land and return to the land and land of your family. Markers. Okay. God will always remind me. <laughs> Whenever like, you know, when you feel like you want to throw the towel. Okay? You want to throw the towel, he says. Do you remember 1993? It's sorry, 1983? The month of December? Christmas vacation? On the banks of Lake Valley in the youth hostel when you put your hand up and you are the only one who put your hand up during the campfire for full-time ministry? That's your marker. Don't forget. Don't forget. How many years back? <laughs> 40 years back. Right? It's 40, right? 83. 40 years back. You need to have markers. It will remind you. Even you forget. He does not forget. You may just put your hand up over there. But God says your hand. You can't go say, let us, I didn't mean it. God said, but I took it. I thought you were serious. That's a marker. And he brings, goes back 20 years into your life and says, arise. Who am I? I'm for you. I'm the God of Bethel. I met you there at Bethel. You know, he goofs up. He stays at Shikim. The daughter gets raped. The three brothers kill the whole town. And in 35, verse 1, 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fell, fled from the face of Esau, your brother. See, markers are there. We need markers. Don't forget. Forget not his benefits. Personally, everyone, even little ones, should to have, have markers. Where did I encounter God? And I know God was there and he brought me through. Now, years later, fast forward into the future, 46, Joseph is alive. He's on the way, chapter 46, verse 1, 2, and 3. Israel took his journey with all that he had. The route is different. The route is different. Okay? The route is different. Okay, let us say, let us say, you have to go to Kerala. And you have to go via Bangalore. You have to go via Bangalore. So one night is at Bangalore and the next day you are going to, let's say, Cochin or something. And when you are spending the night at Bangalore or the day at Bangalore, do you have a marker if you have been earlier in Bangalore? Yeah, I was earlier in Bangalore five years ago and I remember there was a church where I went to and it's a beautiful experience. So he said, I'm free anyway. Let me go to that place and see if they're having a service now. Do you have a marker? So he's on the way. <laughs> when he comes to way, where does he come to? Birshiva. What does he do in Birshiva? He offered sacrifices to the God of his father. Why? Because that is his father's altar. That is where his father had built the altar. His altar is at Bethel. <laughs> his father's altar is at Birshiva. He went to his father's altar. And he offered, there is a marker over there. And when he does that, because he's old, and what he wants to do is, his whole being is pulling him towards Joseph. He loves Joseph. He's excited Joseph well. But the problem is, Joseph is in Egypt. And he knows God had told his grandfather about his father, my son shall never go to the Canaan 
the Gentiles land. He will not move out of the promised land. And here his son about to move into Egypt. And he knows the story is what happened to his grandfather when he went to Egypt and how his father was not allowed to go to Egypt. Now he's going to Egypt. He's, but his all his heart and soul is pulling him over to Egypt. So he offers a sacrifice at the altar. And what happens there in verse 2 and 3? God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said to Jacob, Look at the difference. Okay? He's speaking to a man. That is Jacob. His flesh is pulling him towards Joseph. But God is speaking to Israel. Israel. And he said, here I am. He said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. For I will make you a great nation there. Now he's not speaking to Jacob. He's speaking to Israel. He says, Jacob, you go. Israel, you go to Egypt. In Egypt, you will become that great nation, Egypt, you will become over there. What? God is putting a marker into his life. My question too is, what if we don't have markers? What if we don't remember? Why are we not able to see? David reaches his worst day in his life. I always say the worst day in life of David's life is recorded in First Samuel 36. The worst day in David's life. He lost everything and everybody's hand is against him and he's Literally all alone, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But, but David strengthened or encouraged himself in the, how do you encourage him yourself if you have no markers? How do you encourage yourself? If you have no markers. And he looks back and he remembers when I was in my father's house. I remember the day Samuel came. I remember when the lion came. I came when the bear came. I remember when Goliath came. I remember every time Saul sent me out against him. He's able to have all and stop. What is he focusing on? The faithfulness and the mercy and the goodness of God. He has markers. He has markers. If you don't have markers, what will you do? Where will you go back to? Lot had no markers. So the second generation is given two markers. One marker is in Joshua 4.9. Where is it? It is in the middle of the river. Middle of the river. Second marker is given in verse 8 to 10. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, took the seven stones from the midst of Jordan as, okay, and laid them down there. Okay, and verse 9, and Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of this thing, okay, yeah, um, eight, uh, yeah, five, chapter five, not four, sorry, chapter five, eight to ten. They stayed in the place till they were healed. Okay, come. Words uh, 9. And Josh, Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Do you see something? I don't know whether you are seeing something. I don't look so serious. It's a, it's a comforting message. Okay. <laughs> okay. One is in the middle of the river. You can't see it. Waters are flowing over it. This is right 2,000 years ago. History has been flowing for 2,000 years ago. You can't see it. But 
another is further away from that place. It is the day when the cross became real for you. What happened that day? That day, God says, the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away from you. What happened at Gilgal? The reproach of Egypt has been rolled away from you. The problem is, you know what? This is what you, you we need to have. One is, Arundhati, watch me here, okay? These young children, okay? One is a fact. Happened 2,000 years ago. It's a fact for God, which we have to believe. What is that? When Christ died, I died with him. When did I die with him? 2,000 years ago. But when did it happen to me? 40 years ago. So there are two dates. There are two places where there are memorials. One is in the middle of the river. Can you see it? No. You cannot see it. because The waters have covered it. But it's there. That is a fact that Jesus died for all of us 2,000 years ago. Then there is another day when we encountered Christ. That is the one which you can see. And which you have to keep on going back to look at because you know what? The world will bring its reproach and shame back on you and you have to remember it was rolled away. It was rolled away. That was a place where it was rolled away. We'll come back to that. The reproach was rolled away. So you will see God has given us two primary markers in the new covenant. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41. Peter standing up with 11 said, Mena, 40, 40, and 41. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They were baptized. That is when the reproach was so. Because they're going to. All our reproach, fastings, because you know what? Baptism has to be so powerful if you believe that all those spirits die in those waters. We have this reproach that we carry of our past. But it doesn't exist. It cripples you. You are, you're caught by fear. And people do not know to the length people are able to go because of fear. I told you, I gave you an example of it. Because it's current news and the biggest news that was in the past week, the biggest news was the first ever indictment of an American president over a stupid thing. But what happened? It happens in Manhattan. The Manhattan court with all these jurors and a judge sitting over it. A judge who is elected and not appointed. And the jurors sitting over a secret jury in a borough which is almost 99% Democrat. So what happens? Even if you know the entire process is breaking every tenet of law, you will not go against it because you are scared. Because there are people out there in the public who will tell you what happens if you don't go with your agenda. You are completely ostracized. Nobody will talk to you. You lose almost all your friends in one day. Maybe even your family. You may not be able to even walk safely on the streets. So out of fear, they will go with what is illegal. 
Nobody wants the the reproach. Now, why do all teenagers buckle into what the world? Because it's called teen pressure, peer pressure. We don't have the guts to stand up like David, uh, sorry, like Daniel did, or Daniel's three friends should. They were also teenagers. They refused to buckle. Refused to buckle. And therefore, you know what? You, if I were to ask you personally, call you and ask you, how many people came and asked you, oh, you are different. What makes you different? And you are able to witness to them about Jesus Christ. You don't have a witness. or you, Maybe you have. But if you don't have a witness, it's because you know why? You do not want to believe the reproach of the world has been rolled away. And therefore, you are able to stand. Therefore, if you stand, they will know God is with you. Daniel's three friends stood there. They didn't care. They said, King, God can save us or not save us. That is his prerogative sovereignty. But one thing we know, we will not bend above. He says, burn them. But they didn't burn. In the next chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, he is making an edict that their God is God. Is God. We don't have the guts, the gumption to stand. Gumption to stand. Why? Because always scared of this world. What will this one say? What will that one say? Always scared. And therefore, you know what? We do not experience Gilgal. Gilgal is a very power. That's where your journey begins with. That's where they were supposed to camp. You always have to have a marker. That is the place where I was baptized. That is the place where I died to this world. I have separated from this perverse generation. I have come out as a new man in Christ Jesus. I care two hearts what this world says about me when I follow Christ. I will not be obnoxious, but I am very clear. This is my new identity. I will not. The reproach of this world has been rolled away. One of the reasons we know in Joshua chapter 7 that uh, I defeated Israel, I defeated Israel is because Achan was overcome by the Canaanite spirit and he took the gold and the silver and the Bamanian garment, right? Okay, but my question to you is that before that happened, how come Joshua did not know there was sin in the camp? How come? Do you know why? Go to Joshua. Verse 2. 7-2. Joshua 7-2. Joshua? Did you see that? What is written? Read carefully. Joshua sent men. They camped in Jericho. They didn't camp in Gilgal. They went from Jericho. They didn't go from Gilgal. Go read further chapters of it. Even when they go against, when God brings the the fire down and stone, and go 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 there. You have to read your scripture carefully so you understand patterns in the Bible, so that we the sun stands. Lee, okay, right. Okay, go. Words, chapter 10, verse 7. And verse 8, read. And Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He got, got his lesson. You need to go, always go back to the cross. 
You always need to go back to the cross. Where the reproach was rolled away. Where you encountered. That's where you need to start your this thing. You cannot start your your day in condemnation. You cannot start your day in shame. You cannot start your day in self-confidence. The cross is the death of self. If he had started from Gilgal, God would have spoken to him. God would have spoken to him. And verse 8 says, God said to Joshua, do not fear them. Gilgal is a marker. What does Paul say about, about your baptism? Reckon yourself dead. I mean, we'll say, I mean, okay, I reckon myself dead. It's not a statement. It's a reality. How does it become a reality? How does it become a reality? What does it mean, reckon yourself dead? What does it practically mean? What can a dead man do? What can a dead man do? Nothing. He can do nothing. So when you reckon yourself dead, you're actually waking up in the morning and you're saying, reckon yourself dead. You're going to your altar and says, I can do nothing without you. I need you. That's your first spiritual marker of the day. You wake up in the morning and you go to God. You're acknowledging I am dead. I am, I need you. I cannot do anything without you. If you are not, then you're going from Jericho, the place of your victory. I can do. And what happens in that day, the tiniest little town beats you down. The small little temptation breaks you down because you went from Jericho and you did not go from Gilgal. Markers. Curse is the man who leans on the arm of flesh. So Gilgal is a marker. And that's what God is trying to teach us. You're going to face every day that these nations are there. They are mightier and stronger than you. Like I said, the smaller little demon will bring Putin, Biden and Sheet down together. You can't do nothing against them. Only Christ can. And in Christ only we can. He has not given them. He has given us. Behold, I give you power over all the power. In my name. If you don't have his name and you don't believe, there's nothing. So the devil tempts them and they start wars. They have no power. You need to understand. They have, and we have no power unless it is in Christ. But the power is not given to the old man. The power is given to the new man. So Gilgal is a marker. And that's what God is talking about. Acts chapter, he tells them, you know, the first marker God has given to us is baptism. The first marker in my life and your marker is baptism. And you have to believe. You know what? I remember the day I got baptized. Do you remember it when you got baptized? Do you know where you got baptized? I got baptized here in the tank at Methodist Church in Secunderabad. We rented their baptism tank and I got baptized there. You remember? You remember where you got baptized? You know who baptized? I mean, who baptized you is irrelevant. You know you got baptized. That was a marker. The day you got saved, the day you got baptized, this mark. The day, the day you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember YMCA Hall in the year 1994. These are markers because these are turning points in your life. You need to have markers. Baptism is a marker God has given us. That is when you identify with the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 25 and 26. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are you proclaiming? You're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. Another mark. Two markers God has given. Christmas, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, he never had given. That's church instituted. It's okay. The church also has authority on earth to institute things that does not contradict scripture. Okay? As long as it doesn't contradict scripture, the church has authority to institute things. Like I can say, we are going on seven days fast, which will finish on Sunday lunch. Oh, who gave you authority? Fasting was instituted by God and the church, GTC, is instituting from last Sunday to this Sunday, seven days. But if it is not, there is, there is no mention of fasting in the Bible at all, then you will say, what is this fasting? Where did you get it from? Okay? So, he's instituting something. What is the second thing? It's a Lord's table. It's a marker. They used to do it as often as possible. As often as possible. Okay. So he says, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. What are you proclaiming? You are not proclaiming the Lord's resurrection. You are proclaiming the Lord's death. What is that? When you break the body and you drink the emblem of his blood, what are you proclaiming? He died the death for me. I am saved. The river of death has passed over me. You are proclaiming. These are markers in your life. These are markers in your life. And he says, as often as you do it, do this. Now church, we do it. This Sunday we will do it. Okay. What are these? These are our stones of remembrance. Markers of the past, of the present, and of the future. Till he comes. I I always tell people the entire gospel for the believer. The believer, not for the unbeliever, is encapsulated in two verses, Romans 5, 1 and 2. These are markers. By faith, therefore having been justified, justified by faith, what do I have? Have is where? In the past. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What do I have? When you look into your past, what should you have about your yesterdays? Peace. You go back. Always pieces because of the same thing. In the middle of the river, there are twelve stones. Exact place where the priest had stood. Two thousand years ago, in Calvary, there was a cross. And the Son of Man bled and shed his blood for the remission of my sins. And when I believed in it, I have peace with God. That's your remembrance of your past. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we, and now, because I have peace with God, and now, what do you stand on? You're standing in grace. You had a marker today. You woke up in the morning. You encountered your God. You met Him at the altar. You are standing on grace. God tells about one thing. My grace is sufficient for you. What even money can never do, grace does. And then when you look into the future, the marker, what is that? Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Your past, your present, and your future, there is a marker. Where does it all come from? It comes from the cross. When did you identify with the cross? When you were baptized. That's your marker. And how do you remind yourself all this? Every time you partake of the Lord's table, it's a marker. 
It's a marker. But if these things don't, I tell you, I keep telling this, if these don't, things don't move us at all, doesn't matter who baptized you. You are not saved. Don't be ashamed about it. Don't be ashamed to say, Pastor, I think I am not saved. Be very sure about it because you don't want to wake up like the rich man in hell. Salvation is a real thing. An absolutely real thing. There are markers I have given you on my testimony, you know. When I was in Marivanius in Tivandrum, I was studying there, you know, that teenage, you try to show off and I was the, if I say, could say I am a man of unclean lips, you should have heard me in college before I was saved. Every second, and Malayalam is an absolutely filthy language if you want to. And every second word was unclean and obscene. They liked me because I had the sense of humor even then. So the, some of them were nice kids. They hold, literally hold their nose yet not leave me. Then and at 11 in the night in the hostel room, I got saved. Okay, I got saved. I really did not know I was saved, but I was saved. Now I look back, I know I was saved. What happened was that week, Two days, three days later, I still remember that friend of we had come because I was literature, but BA, BSc, or except BCom, all students come together for English. It's a common class. So we're walking down the corridor, and one of my friends said, "James, what happened to you?" I said, "What happened to me?" He said, "James, you have changed." I was looking just three days later. I said, "I have changed." No. What do you mean? He said, "Have you noticed?" I said, "What?" He said, there is no unclean words from your lips. I didn't know it had gone. I didn't know it had gone. You know, there are certain things which you say, what if these are? These are evidences of salvation. That's why I told Ma. Where are the Jesus boys? Where are they? As soon as the boys' home was shut, they disappeared. I said, this is what I am telling you. They are not saved. And I said, you have to release these girls also. Then you will know whether they are saved or not. Because the first thing that goes out of their heads is church. Soon as you get your liberty, what is the first thing that you do? Because you need to realize, Peter was arrested, he was put in jail, four sets of guards to guard him, and in chains, the angel church was without ceasingly praying, the angel comes, wakes him up, chains fall off, the prisoners, are, the soldiers are sleeping, first gate, second gate, third gate, it is open. Left him at the street, and the church, the, Peter disappeared. Sorry, the angel disappeared. Brought him to his liberty and left him. What does Peter do? Peter knows which house, where they will be praying now. He's straight away. When you get your liberty, where is that you will go first? That's God is asking. That's why I said I have markers. When I had my liberty as a young man, 22, 23 year old young man getting his first job with the government in Bhutan. And before I enter, I look there, I see a small little shop, this big, a small little signboard. I look at the new life bookshop. New life has to be Christian. I walked in. Five rupees, three rupees, dust covered books nobody has bought. I picked up Richard Wombrand's Underground, Daily Readings of Martin Lloyd Joins, Watchman Me. And for the next two years in the country, this was my bread. 
Because these were my markers. Where you go to when you are a teenager is your marker. Whether you are saved or not. And when you don't have it, you don't have to be embarrassed. Because it's, it's talking about your life. If a car knocks you and your bones are all broken, you're bleeding from all places, will you say, I am so ashamed to ask for help? You will scream, somebody help me. If you're not saved, ask for help. Don't sit there and assume, because when that moment happens, in a twinkling of an eye, when that moment happens, there will be no time to assume. A lot of people, that's what I'm saying, you need to have spiritual markers, where you know where you know. Otherwise, what will happen is every time you hear a sermon like, oh, am I saved? I don't think I am saved. You know why you always doubt your salvation? Because you don't have a marker. The saved know they are saved. And when they fall, they know where to go back. Because they have a marker. Abraham and Lot both entered. Both crumbled under pressure. Both went to Egypt. Both came out. One man went to the altar because he had a marker. The other man never had a marker. So when he is given a liberty as a young man, you, we are brethren. There shouldn't be strife. Please choose. He looked and he chose. And he went. And after that, it is a disaster. But when he chose, he did not realize where he would end one day. He lost his family, lost his wife, lost his daughters, lost everything. Do you know why? Because he had no markers. We need to have stones of remembrance. We need to be very, very careful because the days are pressing upon us. Where everything that once the church thought was holy and kosher has been thrown. People are not even sure about their gender anymore. Sexuality anymore. Everything. It's thrown out. Where will you stand? Do you have a stand on all these things? Do you know what you believe? Do you have markers? Crosses my marker and crosses your marker. But God can remind. That's what we saw in Genesis 35.1. God is talking to a man and reminding. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up. Okay, I'm not saying it is not very easy. Okay. Was it being was the sound off all this while? Okay, it was you could hear, no? Okay. It is being broadcast also, no? They are not watching moving images, no? Okay. <laughs> okay. You should you should have markers. Honestly, you should have markers. Should have markers in your life, children. Where God can remind you. Otherwise, tomorrow you are in trouble. What will God come? What is what is your history? Do you, like I said, do you have a history with God? A hidden history with God? David had. David had. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism. You see these two words are used because 
By the time you come now to the letter to Colossians, you have to speak to two groups. There's a Jewish part of the church and there's a Gentile part of the church. Both God has made one in Christ. The Jews will only understand circumcision. We understand only baptism. But technically it is the same. It is the same. Circumcision is the cutting away of the body of flesh. It's baptism is the dying off to the flesh. So, we were buried with him, baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You be dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, wiped out the understanding, handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it where? To the cross, that's the marker. What is Good Friday all about? It's about the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. Do you see what the cross is talking about? One, my sins are taken out. Second, the law has been taken out. We don't understand this too. Think carefully. First, my sins have been taken out. Before I came to Christ, we all sinned under the law. All my sins have been taken out. After that, what did Christ do? He took the law out. If the law is out, where is condemnation? How can, where there is no law, there is no sin. Are you getting it? Where there is no law, there is no sin. What did the cross do? One, my sins were nailed on to Christ. Second, the law was nailed on to Christ. Third, the powers of darkness have been disarmed and distinct by the cross. That's what happened on Good Friday. That's a marker. It's a marker. Therefore, what is on the other side? There is only liberty. That is why the Bible says there is only conviction, not condemn. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You cannot be condemned because to be condemned, you need the law. Under what law are you being condemned? What is the law under which condemned? There is no law. There is no law. So now it is no longer about a law. It is about a person. The Holy Spirit comes and says, don't do it. Why? Because you are my son. My son doesn't do stuff like that. My daughter doesn't do stuff like that. That is what Paul is talking to Ananias or Peter is talking to Ananias and Sapphira. Are they saved? Yes. So what is it? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? How can somebody who is unsaved lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did, he says, didn't you break this? He's not talking about any law over there. He says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Didn't the Holy Spirit tell you, Ananias, you are my son. We don't do this kind of stuff in the church. That is what people in the world do. Give money to be known and put their name on the label, donated by. Why do you do stuff like that? Wasn't it yours? You could have kept it. You didn't have to do any of these things. And then later when Safira comes, he tells us the same. Why did you both agree to test the Holy why is the Holy Spirit coming? There is only one law now. What is the law? It is the law of the Holy Spirit. It is a person. It is a person. Do we understand what happened when Jesus died on the cross and when you believed? Your sins were taken away. The law has been taken away. Now we have only one law. What is the law? The law of the Spirit. It is the law of life. The law of life. So we need to understand what does actually, like traditional Christian talk calls it, Good Friday. What does Good Friday mean? What does the crucifixion of Jesus Christ mean to me? Do you understand the liberty? What a marker it is. 
It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what a people says. The only thing that matters is what my Father, the Spirit of God says. That's the only thing that matters. You are set free. That's what Galatians is talking about. So what happened to them? In Joshua 5 and verse 9, we have to relate it to ourselves. It's a marker. There are 12 stones for us. On Calvary, there is a cross. The Lord said to Joshua, this day, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. When? This day. This day. When was that for us? 2,000 years ago, God has rolled away the reproach of the world from all his children. That day is the day when I got baptized. I don't need the adulation, the approval of the world. I don't need the shame and the reproach of the world. I am dead to the world. It has been rolled away. You go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. After Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to draw, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Two thousand years ago, the stone was rolled away. The stone was not rolled away for Jesus to come out. He's already out. The stone was rolled away so that we could look in and see it is empty. Something happened. Something was rolled away. Because when they looked in, there is nothing there. There is an empty tomb. What do you see when you look into your past? Do you see your sins or do you see empty? What do you see? Why was the, why did the angel come and roll the stone? You need to understand how powerful. Pastor Vijay mentioned it last Sunday or the previous Sunday. Previous Sunday, he meant two Sundays back, he mentioned it. And this is a fact. You need to ask this question. Jesus was scorned and abused and humiliated and finally on the cross. Everybody, the religious leaders, the people, released Barabbas, Pilate, everybody mocked him, ridiculed him, stripped him, beat him, spat on him, nailed him, put on the cross. If you are the son of God, come down. He kept quiet. He prayed. He committed his spirit in his father's hands. He died. He was put in the grave. He came out. Three days later, he came out. He showed himself only to his disciples, not to a single person. Why? Because you don't have to prove anything to this world. I don't have to prove anything to this world except the Lord is with me. And God says, you are my witness. The church is a witness that Christ is alive. We are forever trying to prove to the world we are as good as the what is what what are we worried about the world so far? The world has got nothing to do with me. We have nothing to do with the world. The only thing we have to do with the world is that by this they will know God is among you. Why didn't Jesus appear before Pilate and say, "See, I told you I am a king, my kingdom." Why didn't he appear before the priest and the, no? He didn't do that to anybody. He only showed himself. To his disciples. Look at that. We have only one life. We are not worried about the world. To show off to the world. And pretend to the world. No we don't. If we do live like that. That means the reproach hasn't been rolled away. 
That is why their forefathers could not enter. Because every time they talked, their connecting point was always We remember in Egypt how we had a cuisine was Egypt. Everything was about Egypt. They were not looking forward to where God was taking them. Therefore, God couldn't do anything with them. But the second generation, God says, the reproach has been rolled away. So there is another rolling away here. What is the rolling away? It is of the stone. It is of the stone. The stone is rolled away. Why? For us to look in. And says it is empty. There's nothing there. It's all taken care of. There is nothing there. We need to look into the tomb and says, you know what? There's only one tomb in the world that is empty. Whose is it? And if you look into that tomb, okay, in Corinthians 15, and words 55, 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, AIDS, where is your victory? You know what Charles Spurgeon said? He's, in his time, he's a very strange man. He said, in his time, he said, I don't want to be caught in rapture. And he comes, he says, I want to rise from the dead. When I rise from the dead, the first thing I want to do is look at my grave and tell, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, heads, where is your victory? The grave is empty. If Christ's grave is empty, every grave of every believer is empty. For to be absent in the body is to be present in the world. And you have to live like that. Because almost every decision people make is connected with fear and fear is connected with death. Loss. Death. So you need to look into that grave. And there was a stone that rolled away. And you look in there and says, you, it is empty. I won't live in the grave anymore. I am free. I will not allow fear. I will not allow gain. I will not allow... Any of these things that causes me to make my decisions because I know who I am. I know whose I am. Remember. 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 Two more, three more verses and we shall pray. Exodus 13.3 Moses said to the people, Remember this day. In a wind which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by your strength of hand, by the strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. Remember this day. Do you know which day it is? Still that day. Wednesday evening to Thursday evening was Passover, and after that begins the seven days, the bread of unleavened bread. Okay, so for the Jews, it is still there in that day. Remember. Remember, he's telling them. There was a day. And how should you remember Egypt? As the house of? House of? How do you remember the world? Do you really see the world as a house of bondage? See, that's what I said, no? Unless you surrender your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, your mind cannot be renewed. A lot of people are hearing the word of God, receiving knowledge, but the mind is not being renewed to understand the will of God because they still see the church as a house of bondage and the world as a house of pleasure. What do you see as the house of bondage? The world? Or the church? Home. 
ho ho bondage sit in the house hold hey bondage ho <laughs> oh, three hour service bondage three hours in imax nobody says bondage change your mindset remember god says this is how you need to remember this is how you need to remember one remember this is the day you came out and you came out out of egypt and egypt was the house of bondage remember remember the day you came out remember the day you went into the water and came out and said i am dead to this world save yourself from this perverse generation remember how do we remember exodus 20 and verse 8 exodus remember then he had kept he gave them a marker every week on the seventh day all things are shut down remember the day to keep it holy remember the day sabbath day to keep it holy see we forgot these things you know what happened to how I many you I, we look at with our eyes you're watching and see the destruction of the greatest nation ever in human history was seeing the destruction you know why because they forgot to remember their god you know in the old days in us sunday was absolutely shut down just for the church nothing opened on sundays today if you go back to us every major event takes place on a sunday super bowl everything is on sunday why they forgot their god how do we remember let us talk about ourselves for us it would be like if you want to call it the seventh day you want to be very hebraic or biblical we'll say from saturday evening to sunday evening sick well let us say sunday how do you remember sunday that's where you have planned out what all you are going to do remember how do we remember sunday how should you remember sabbath to keep it set apart for god how do you remember that day of the week revelation chapter 1 9 and 10 look at one man poor old man not poor man mighty man old man probably in his 90s exiled to the island of patmos one believer apostle who refu- who didn't die who was ma- was in martyred and is all alone over there with prisoners roman prison patmos rocky island i john behold your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of jesus christ was on the island that is called patmos for the word of the of god for the testimony of jesus christ i was in the spirit on the he remember how did you remember john did you have a calendar how did you remember today is the lord's day this is the first day of the week how did you remember what were you do you were worshiping in the spirit and i heard he was ministering unto god and he heard isn't that what is written about in the book of acts about the church in corinth they were ministering unto god and fasting and the holy spirit spoke to them how do we remember to keep our sabbath sabbath means holy set apart day a holy day how do we remember 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 this is resurrection sunday Two days from now is Sunday. Remember Sunday. How do you should we remember Sunday to keep it set apart for God? 
in your heart, in your mindset. And I have to tell this a hundred times. I have repeated in the church. I know you all are mothers. I know you have small children. So was I one day, father and a mother with little children. But non-negotiable was Sunday. And you prepared for Sunday by Saturday evening. You prepared for Sunday by Saturday evening. Even the breakfast, the sandwich was made and kept in the fridge. So in the morning, 10 minutes, new kit, get ready, let's go. And it was 7.30 service in the morning. And if you're five minutes late, you sat in the patio, not inside. And it didn't matter how old the children were, they knew you need to go. Nine o'clock people come late, 9.30 people come. And all excuses are, Children delayed me. No, children cannot delay you. Then your children are holy, like Eli. God said, you gave your children more honor than me. Therefore, I will take the priesthood from you. Why do we have these issues? Because we do not remember. We do not remember. Once it becomes a practice, it becomes very easy. The children realize. Yes, the children realize. We are... This is non-negotiable. We need to go. When we go over there, this is how we are called to behave. This is how we behave. And you realize they behave. Later when they grow up, they will go into the world and things will happen. But one point in their life, they will have something to remember. Jacob had something to remember and God could come and remind you, Hi Isaac, I'm the God of your father Abraham. But what if your father Abraham did not worship God? How will he connect to you? If you never worshipped in your home, you never kept Sunday holy, when God has to speak to your children, on what is the reference point by which he will speak to them? That's why we as parents need to have markers so that one day the children can be told, I am the father of, I am the God of your father, James. Markers. Markers. And here is a man in his exile, in this thing, on the Lord's day. How did you know it was the Lord's day? Because I remember, this is the day. This is the day. And that's what the Bible is talking about. And that's what we are talking about. Remember, you need to realize, I mean, you have to go to Deuteronomy as we close, okay? Don't worry, it's a special day. It's Good Friday, we'll celebrate it as Good Friday. Not Deuteronomy, sorry. Numbers 15. 38 and 39. Powerful. Okay. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generation. Okay. That is at the corner, edge of their robe. They all wear robes fully covered. They all wear, no, you see Arabs like they are dressed like that. Okay. Throughout their generation, generation to generation. And can you believe if Israel had followed this till today? If they had followed this, it is a law for them. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generation. And what should they put in the tassels? A blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Verse 39. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. You knew what? Every Israelite who is walking over has this blue thread. And wherever you look, you look. I mean, everybody when they are walking, you have to look down, right? Think about, think about you are a normal Hebrew in Israel, if you are following this law in their times. If you look up, 
You see blue because the heavens are blue. You are reminded about God. You look down, you see the blow and realize you have to keep the commandments of God. God is giving them reminders. Remember, 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 remember. And I do believe because Jesus was born from the house of Judah. He was a Bible obeying Jew. And he had these garments and he had these tassels with the blue, this thing. And there was once a woman, poor old woman, with the issue of blood for 12 years. And she come, came and touched the tassel and immediately watched you flow. Because here is a man who looked up and he looked down and kept the entire law of God. Never broke it. And virtue was flowing in. Remember. In their daily lives, God is saying, have markers. They had, everybody had markers they carried with them. In the week, they had markers. The nation had markers. And God is asking us as God's people, do we have markers? Remember. Instead, what did their fathers? Oh, we remember when we were in Egypt. We remember the leeks and the garlic and the fish. What is that you remember? Markers. Did you see what they remember? Oh, we are tired of this manna. It's worthless. <laughs> what do you remember? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Final verses. Matthew 69. Do you not understand... Or remember the five loaves of five thousand and how many baskets you took up? You remember? Does God speak to you like that? God speaks because if you are Marcos, I told you once I was traveling all the way from Kerala by train all the way to NJP, I got off and now I have to go to Bhutan. Okay, I'm saved to go to Bhutan. The problem is you're a young guy. You had only little money in your hand. You forgot about how much money you are carrying because you're a student. You're traveling to your parents in Bhutan. You got an NJP. From NJP, you have to go to the town where your parents are working. And the bus fare is in that year in the 80s, 6 rupees. But you bought bananas and you bought omelette and you all ate in the church and you reach, it's not in the train, and you reach your bus stop with all your luggage and all the, and you're looking at you, you have only five rupees. You don't know the difference between five rupees and six rupees in those days that one rupee is 30 kilometers. How am I going to reach home? There is no telephone. You don't know anybody over here. Your parents are in another country. This is the age. There is no telephone, no cell phone, nothing. And I'm standing over there and saying, Lord, what do I do? And I look around. I said, oh, that man, that Jawan, I remember he was in the same compartment with him. I remember he said, we said, hello, he's Malali. I said to him, said, sir, can you give me one rupee? He said, of course, son, here, take two rupees. Do you remember? When you had five loaves, how many did I feed? Why are you worrying about it now? Do you remember how I met your need when you had very little, when your salary was only 5,000? Do you remember I took care of you? Now your salary is 50,000, you are still worrying? Do you remember that I am your provision? Do you remember? This is how you have markers in your life because you remember. I remember when I had nothing, he took care of me. Now I am, when I have something, <laughs> can't you take care of me? 
Do you remember? Do you remember? Luke 17:32 and we shall pray. Remember? Remember? Lord's wife. Remember? Mrs. Lot. She created a lot of trouble in the family, Mrs. Lot. Remember Lord's wife. And that's the exhortation to all the ladies. Remember Lord's wife. You wives should be women who push your husbands towards God and not towards the world. Always should be that. No, don't forget. Always tell women, don't forget who you are. And who you are is what God said. Who you are. You are your husband's helpmate. To help your husband to serve God as best as possible. Not to pull him. Because wives have a very, very powerful influence in the home. Especially with their husband. He doesn't care even if the whole world is mad with him. He knows the lady at home can make him miserable. So he will just for the sake of peace give in to anything she says. Don't misuse it. Remember Lord's wife. She is the one who pulled him into Sodom. She is the one, in spite of seeing all the things that is happening, because this man, yesterday's message, I said, this man called Lot had one of the most powerful testimonies in the world, visible. He had seen his uncle Abraham. He has seen his encounters. Still he went to Sodom. He lived in Sodom. The four kings came and attacked Sodom. Took him and his whole family probably has captive. Family is not mentioned. We are assuming, presuming. Everybody taken in captive. In chains they are there. Abraham risks his life with 318 servants. Defeats that kings. Rescues Lot and his whole property, everything. And suddenly there is another Two kings are coming. Bera, the king of Sodom, comes. That is the Canaanite spirit. Canaanite spirit is coming. And right there, immediately intervention, next words, Melchizedek, king of Salem, came. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Salem means peace, Jerusalem's old name. So the king of peace and the king of righteousness, that is Jesus Christ, comes with bread and wine. That is the First time communion is being instituted. We think communion was instituted by Jesus at the Lord's table with his apostles. No, it was instituted by Jesus, the original Melchizedek for Abraham. Why? Because he had fought those spirits and put his life on the line for an ungrateful nephew. And Jesus says, you have judged yourself and now you are ready to partake of my emblems of my body and my blood. Because Paul says, if any man eats it in an unworthy manner without judging yourself. How do you judge? Did I lay down my life for my brother? Or did I pick up my life? Was I looking for loss or gain? Abraham was looking for loss, not gain. And God says, partake of it. And the Bible says, he blessed Abraham. And then Abraham gave his tithes the first time. Chapter 14 is a powerful chapter. First time war is fought. And when one man fights for armies for the sake of his nephew and his family, where communion is instituted, and when a man gives tithes. You need to realize, even tithes has a spiritual meaning. When does Abraham give tithes? To whom does he give tithes? He gives tithes after the war. When you have won the war inside. A war of resentment and anger and unforgiveness. Then you are really able to give to God. 
immediately Sodom, the king of Bera, and Bera, the king of Sodom, comes and says, what does he say? Give me the people. You keep the money. Because Babylon is a trafficker of souls and bodies of men. He said, give me the people. You keep the money. Trying to entice him. You know what Abraham said? I have lifted my hands to the God of heaven. Not even a thong from your sandal will I take. So that you will not say, you made me rich. And that's how the narrative stops. And the next day, the Bible says, the Lord appeared to him and said, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great shield and your reward. But the point is this, Lot was watching all of this. Was his wife there? Was she there? We don't know. But if she was there, they were watching all this, looking at this man. What What a testimony. And they go back to Sodom. With Vera. They heard this. They saw this. It doesn't change anything. They go back to Sodom. Next time you hear about Lot, is the day of judgment. Day of judgment. Even when the fire is falling and cries and screams are rising, everything is burning and they are being pulled out. She is reached the city of Zor near the gates. She could have just entered and she would have been safety. She looks back. She looks back. God says, remember. Remember. Remember these things. So there are markers. Remember. So don't take these things lightly. Because we are coming literally to the end of the age. And we may not know. God will say enough. Enough. You know he heard the cries in Exodus it says. He heard the groanings of the children of Israel. And remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He heard the groans. The problem is, his, there are churches around the world in the persecuted nations who are crying out. He hears their groans. We are not groaning. We are groaning for the world. I didn't get that. Or he got that. She got more. I got less. We are groaning for the wrong reasons. We are not groaning for Christ. But around the world there are churches groaning. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And he will remember the covenant his son made with us. I am going. Let your hearts not be troubled. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back for you. And the Bible says in a fraction of a second, it will happen. In a fraction of a second. In that whole thing when he talks about remember Lord's wife. You know what's the subsequent verses? There will be two in the bed. One will be taken. Through in two in the mill. One will be taken. How will it Why will it be so? We need to ask ourselves. Am I able to remember from where God brought me out? He brought me out from the house of bondage. That is what the world was. House of bondage. Nothing else. It is a house of bondage. Like I said, when I look back into my past, my memories, if you have listened to my <laughs> testimonies, have you noticed when I talk about my past, I only tell you two things. One is home, one is church. I don't talk to you about anything else. Home is home. That's where your parents were. Those are people you loved and who loved you. That's your testimony. And after that, it's always about church. I don't have any other testimony. The world? No. No testimony from the world. Who cares? Were you in the world? Yes. Did you work in the world? Yes. Did you? That's not a testimony. It is a house of bondage. 
house of bondage. You have to see. Remember from where you have been brought out. Remember. So this morning we shall pray. Yes, Abigail? Remember, your father is preaching today evening also. Remember, and as a child learn to pray for your father. Okay? I'm glad you taught Sunday school. Okay? You need to pray when your father is away. You, you have to pray. Okay? Your father is on mission. You have to pray. Amy, you have to pray. You have to learn to pray now. You're not young. You're older than Samuel. Come. Let's have Peter. Children need to pray. You should pray. Your father is far away. And he's always thinking his head about you both. You need to pray. Remember where your father is. Remember. Don't forget. Oh, daddy is gone. He's not gone on vacation. He's gone on mission. He's not gone on vacation. He's gone to work. Remember. Children should not forget. There is a God's own son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, holy one, sing there is a Redeemer, there is a The precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, oh, oh one, mm, sing, thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son.
Father, this morning, we just want to thank you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Lord. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. And thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. Coming for me, Lord. It's so very personal, Lord, because if you hadn't come, I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have even known each other. None of us, Lord. Life would have been so completely different, Lord. Would have been in blindness, hurtling towards hell. But because you came, everything changed, Lord. And because you didn't just come, you didn't just preach a good message like the others before you and after you. You went to the cross for my sin and our sin. That's what changed everything, Lord. You went to the cross. And on the cross, Father, you put my sin upon your son. You took the law and all its requirements, O Lord, nailed it on the cross. You disarmed the powers of darkness, made a public spectacle of them, Lord. Therefore, this morning when we stand here in your house, we have hope. We have faith. Because of your son. We just want to thank you, Lord. Even around the world, the persecuted churches and all those who are, listen, doesn't matter what you're going through. Remember, death has been swallowed in victory. That's a fact. Remember, you may be attacked, you may be beaten, you may be in the ICU, you may be wounded, you may have lost everything, but remember, death has been swallowed in victory. The word of God says, because of Christ, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. For nothing, absolutely nothing in this life can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Safe and secure for eternity. Neither war, nor pestilence, nor famine, nor sword, nor hunger, nor nakedness, nothing. Nothing can separate us anymore. For we are in Christ. And we are accepted in the beloved. All because of the cross. Because one day, God stepped into our realm as man. Walked the walk. Talked the talk. And then went on to the cross. This is a day of remembrance. Remember the cross. Or from the Savior's riven side, Emmanuel's riven side, there flows a river, a crimson tide. And every sinner who plunges into it comes out white, white as snow, cleansed of every sin, delivered from the house of bondage, set free to declare the praises of Him who brought us out of darkness into light. Therefore, we are not ashamed. The reproach has been rolled away. The shame has been taken. For we know whose we are. We just want to thank you, Father. We just want to thank you. By faith, we lift up holy hands. 
We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your name. My God. We ask your people stand in your presence in your house and we declare, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.